You are listening to the IMN podcast produced by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me, they have all responded, I am in. Paul Johnson describes his life's blessings as coming to him, pressed down, shaken together, and flowing over. Those abundant blessings have included some very hard trials. Being single until the age of 36, caring for his late wife who was diagnosed with MS two years into their 23-year marriage, and wheelchair-bound, then bedridden for many of those years, and now being single and trying to date again. He believes hard trials are actually compliments from God who promises He will not give us more than we can handle. Paul grew up in the Boise Valley, graduated from high school in Independence, Missouri, where his parents were mission leaders. After the life-changing blessing of studying in the Holy Land, he served a mission in Korea. Paul received both his bachelor's and law degree from BYU. Then he backpacked around the world for a classic education. He worked on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. for a senator, started a small importing business, and now professionally enjoys solving large infrastructure problems to create master-planned communities, including Saratoga Springs in Utah. Paul has recently volunteered at a Ukrainian refugee aid station in Poland, helped start a school for orphan refugee girls in the world's largest refugee camp in Bangladesh, and attended his youngest daughter's high school basketball games. Paul and Alice are the parents of four beautiful children. Thank you who are here and those who may be listening in. It's really an honor and privilege to be able to share stories of hope with you and to be able to bear my testimony of our Savior Jesus Christ and and His gospel. As I share these stories with you, uh, will you please watch for the lessons that Heavenly Father may have in these experiences that, uh, that may be similar to some of your experiences in your lives as well. When I was 16 years old, I wanted to know where I stood with Heavenly Father. In my introspection, I felt that I needed to repent of some things that I'd done. Like Enos, the words which I had often heard my father speak concerning eternal life and the joy of the saints sunk deep into my heart, and my soul hungered, and I knelt down before my Maker next to my bed in the mission home in Independence, Missouri, where my parents were at the time leading the mission. And I cried unto God in mighty prayer and and supplication for my own soul. And after a time, there came a voice unto me saying, Paul, thy sins are forgiven thee. As I knelt there, I felt forgiveness come, and I felt enfolded in the arms, warm arms of his everlasting love. I learned for myself what Lehi and Nephi knew, that the love of God is the most sweet above all I had ever tasted. It filled my soul with exceeding great joy. I came to know for myself that His love is the most desirable of, of all things and the most joyous to the soul. Have you felt that yourselves? I hope so. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? These experiences continue to bless my life in many ways. 
They invite me to feel my Savior's atoning love frequently through earnest repentance. It is foundational to my testimony that Jesus Christ is my Savior and the, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is really the gospel of repentance, is true. It teaches me that repentance is a sacred gift, a privilege, not a punishment, and that it is a reliable way to feel His love. In the words of our beloved hymn, I know that my Redeemer lives, and on this Easter week, I testify that He lives to bless me with His love, and He lives to bless you with His love. As I share a, couple, a few more stories with you, please listen to the Spirit that may be telling, uh, teaching you and reaching you with a certain message of, that, that springs from these stories of mine or that connect you to some of your stories. Let's not go so fast that we can't hear what the Spirit is trying to teach us. I had been a junior companion in my mission in Seoul, Korea for about six months, trying to learn what was considered to be one of the three most difficult languages for missionaries to learn. I've got to do an aside here. Um, it's said that missionaries who go, at least in our, Korean, in our mission in Korea, it was said that missionaries who go to English-speaking missions come back Bible scholars. Some of you went to English-speaking missions, right? If, we, if you got called and went to a Spanish-speaking mission, you came back a Bible scholar and a Spanish scholar. If you went to a Korean-speaking mission, you just came home. <laughs> <laughs> the language was difficult. The call came for me to become senior companion. I felt wholly inadequate and overwhelmed. Maybe some of you felt that way. I don't know. Uh, when P-Day came and we had some time to ourselves, I went into a large closet in our missionary quarters, knelt down, and poured my heart out to Heavenly Father. Please, please strengthen me and make me equal to this task, I petitioned. I feel so inadequate and incapable of this assignment. Amidst my petitions, a profoundly, comfortably, a profoundly comforting voice came into my mind. Whether through my ears or my heart, I cannot say for sure. But the most indescribable peace came over me as I heard the voice say, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I left the closet a different missionary. I knew the Savior himself was with me. And with his help, I could do all things. Among other lessons, I learned from this experience that he lives to silence all my fears. After my mission and between my undergraduate and graduate studies, my cousin and I got our real classic education by backpacking around the world. We worked all summer to save the money. Then in the fall, we headed out going west from Los Angeles, flying from continent to continent, but otherwise hitchhiking, taking buses, trains, taxis, until we returned to the United States going west. We went all the way around the world. We, uh, one place we were particularly uh, interested in spending some time was Bali, Indonesia. We booked tickets well ahead of time to fly there from Darwin, Australia, a far less appealing place to us, at least. Uh, 
As soon as we arrived in Darwin, we went straight to the airline ticket counter to confirm our tickets for the flight out to Bali in two days. Uh, but we were devastated when the clerk told us that they'd given our seats away because we were supposed to check in 72 hours instead of 48 hours before the flight. Worse yet, they said, there's no more flights out of here for a week. So we were feeling pretty blue about missing all of Bali and having to spend another week in a place we really didn't love being. So we prayed for a solution with words and in deeds. We went down to the wharf and asked everybody and anybody that we could find, private yacht owners, captains of cargo ships, if any of them were sailing toward Indonesia, north, northwest. Nobody. Nobody. We did everything we could do. We went to bed that night confidently telling Heavenly Father that we had done everything in our power to solve our problem without success. And if it was going to be solved, it was up to Him. We told Him that we knew that our getting to that experience in Bali didn't matter much to Him in the eternal scheme of things. But it mattered to us. And would He please help us out? The next morning, we decided that our chances of flying out on our original flight would be enhanced if we went to the airport. So we went, arriving three hours early before the flight was supposed to take off. The counter agents told us that the flight was still sold out, but that the rule was that, at, uh, that any boarding passes unclaimed 30 minutes before the departure of the flight could be made available to us. Well, hearing that, we wanted to go out in the parking lot and beat up just two people on their way into the terminal. But we didn't, of course. Instead, we watched the clock on the wall tick. Every second seemed like an hour. As time went on, more people came. And the number of available boarding passes kept shrinking and shrinking. With about 10 minutes left, there were eight boarding passes left. With about four minutes left, there was two left. Oh, those were two very, or four very, very long minutes. But as soon as that second hand hit the mark, there were still two, seat, two boarding passes available. The clerks handed them to us. We grabbed them raced through security, raced through the back of the airport, up the stairs onto the plane, down the aisle, found our seats, sat down, buckled in, put our heads down. Because the last thing we wanted was to see someone coming down the aisle to take away our good fortune. Sure enough, someone came, tapped us on the shoulder, and said, no, I'm not here to kick you out. I'm, I'm just here to tell you, he was one of the counter agents, I'm just here to tell you that you're so lucky. The original owners of those two seats came three minutes late, just after you'd left. Well, we felt sorry for them, didn't we? But we've never been more, we were never more happy to go wheels up on that flight and get to fly to Bali, thanking Heavenly Father the whole way for His kindness in doing what I imagine a father would love to do for His children if they ask and 
if he could do it for them without violating their agency, right? So we got to enjoy some time in Bali. I have that boarding pass, by the way, in my scrapbook. I call it the miracle boarding pass. Um, a couple of lessons I learned from this experience are that if it's important to you, it's important to your Father in heaven. The other lesson that I relearned was, by grace we're saved after all we can do, <laughs> right? Well, as the hymn says, he lives my mansions to prepare. He lives to bring me safely there. I came home from my mission ready to get married. I remember asking my dad how old he was when he got married. 25, he answered. I was incredulous. I said, how in the world did you wait that long? I, I met and dated someone all through college and in, into graduate school. When that didn't work out, and as my time at BYU was drawing to an end, I dated like crazy, sometimes twice a day, not wanting to leave single. But alas, I had to leave single. Some of you may know the travails of being single longer than our culture deems acceptable. Anyone feel that way? <laughs> it's no fun. At that time, to me, I thought that was the trial of my life. And it was at the time. The loneliness was nearly unbearable sometimes. I hope you haven't felt that too much, but maybe... You can relate. One unforgettable night, I couldn't sleep because of it. I was doing all I knew how to do, but I had nothing to show for it. I paced and prayed and prayed and paced. About 2 a.m., I was in the middle of my living room floor, on my knees, writhing in heartache and pleading for hope and comfort, certain I couldn't hold on for another minute. Then one of the most sacred and life-changing events of my life happened. It's too sacred to share in detail. Suffice it to say that I know the Savior patrols the end of our ropes. Perhaps some of you know what I mean when I say that experiencing His ministering love changes you forever. It was as if He said to my tumultuous sea, Peace, be still. And there was a great calm. He lives to comfort me when faint. I thought being single for so long was my test. I couldn't imagine a greater test for me. But that was just a warm-up. I finally got married at age 36, and the children I had been promised in my patriarchal blessing and whom I had yearned for for 15 years, began to come. Two years and two children into my marriage, my late wife suddenly went blind in one eye. An MRI revealed a large... Sorry. A large number of plaques on her brain. We were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Doctors told us we were through having children but we couldn't let go of our desire to have more. We wrestled with the decision and prayed for guidance every day for three years. No answer came. 
Then just ahead of state conference weekend in our Linden, Utah stake, our phone rang at home. The stake president wanted to bring the visiting general authority by our home on Saturday afternoon. I had two daughters, Annie and Katie, with me. I had both of our daughters, our two daughters, Annie and Katie, with me at a family reunion in Idaho. My wife, who wasn't up to the trip, called to tell me to hurry home. I threw my daughters, my girls in the car and raced home, making it just in time to greet our visitor, visitors. When President Worthington and Elder Lance Wickman arrived, Elder Wickman recognized my mother's picture on our wall. He explained that he and my mother were dear friends as youth in New Jersey, and that my grandfather was his family's bishop who issued them the, their temple recommend to be sealed together as a family. These ministering leaders asked me what was on my mind, what was on our minds, actually. We told them about our quandary. Should, should we go against doctor's orders and have another child? They offered to give my wife a blessing and invited me to stand in the circle with them. I literally gasped out loud when Elder Wickman said in the blessing, I bless you that you will have more children. I could not believe my ears. Was that plural? His, my wife was equally thunderstruck. Bearing children was agonizing for her, not so much because of the MS, but because of a liver disease she also had that made her itch insatiably and sleeplessly for most of her pregnancies. But thanks to this blessing, her faith, and her willingness to self-sacrifice, we were blessed with two more amazing children, Sam and Molly. Within a year of Molly's birth, my wife's MS started progressing dramatically. Her amazing talents gradually slipped away. Her need for a wheelchair progressed from occasional to constant. Then came years of her being bedridden and eventually completely unable to move at all. She passed away in May of 2019, leaving me grateful beyond expression for my four amazing children, but heartbroken and single again. He lives to grant me rich supply. He lives to guide me with his eye. When, the 20, when 2008, the Great Recession hit, I had millions of dollars of business debt that were secured by real estate that lost nearly all of its value overnight. The FDIC shut down the bank that loaned me the money, and they sold my note to a shark. I spent nearly three years waiting each day for the dreaded phone call to come from the shark, demanding full payment for the note, or if I couldn't pay, to sign over to him all of my earthly possessions. With my wife becoming more incapacitated every day, my young children needing me more than ever, and my business decimated, my boat was taking water on from all sides. I prayed for relief night and day and never slept. I needed a miracle. Have you ever felt that way? You need a miracle? 
Something told me to review my loan documents. Two pages in, there it was. Through some miraculous mistake, the bank had secured my loan with only my land, not with the appurtenant water rights that gave the land much of its value. There was my leverage. When the shark finally called and I went into his office to negotiate my fate, he said, we both know that you still own the water rights, free and clear, that we need for our land to have value. Give us the water rights and you're free to go. We won't ask for anything more. Whew, imagine how I felt. Expressing deep gratitude to the Lord for His divine intervention with forethought. I signed over the water rights and finally slept peacefully that night. In my opinion, the ram, that ram in the thicket was placed there by an all-knowing Father in Heaven ahead of time, just as He orchestrated the solution to the lost, lost Book of Mormon manuscript pages long before the pages were lost. He lives all blessings to impart. Last story. After my wife passed away, I eventually started dating. My mother braced for the worst. She knew that I would be no better at it this time around than I was 35 years ago. I'm proving her right. For much of the last year, I was devastated over a failed relation, a dating relationship. The heartache was nearly debilitating for months. One night, the crushing pain of loss and hopelessness seemed particularly unbearable to me. I could hardly breathe. My only hope was that the Savior would intervene. As I thrashed and prayed and prayed and thrashed, at 11.04 p.m., a text hit my phone. It was from Jared Stokes, a friend of mine I served with in his priest quorum, whom I hadn't spoken with for several weeks. It read, Paul, personally I can't relate much to the difficulty you're going through, but for some reason I feel like I'm supposed to tell you it's all going to work out. Praying for you, my friend. Sometimes Christ ministers personally, sometimes through ministering angels. He lives to calm my troubled heart. <clears throat> well, what lessons do you see in these experiences or in similar experiences that you've had? There's lots of them, aren't there? Can we just pick out a few? If, does anyone want to share something that they see or learn? Let, let me get us started just a little bit. <clears throat> One thing that these experiences teach me is what it says in the book of Abraham, chapter 3, verse 25, that God put us, created the earth and put us here, saying, we will prove them herewith. We're here in this life to be tested. We're here in this life to be tested. Yes, there'll be lots of joy along the way. But 
Expect it. Prepare for it. Fill your spiritual buckets in the calm times because I promise you, you will draw on those reservoirs of faith in the hard times. You're not too old, you guys, but I'm guessing you know what I'm talking about. Another lesson. Our loving, all-knowing Heavenly Father will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able to bear. So we're promised by, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I have carried that that scripture has given me perhaps more than at least it's in the top five scriptures of my life that have given me courage, strength, determination, confidence. When the, the trial feels too too heavy for me to bear and I'm still having to bear it, what does it teach me? It teaches me that the Lord has confidence that I can still hold it up, that I can still stand under it. It's a vote of confidence to, to me, it seems. And somehow that makes it bearable. Uh, so I've learned to think of these hard trials as compliments. Now, sometimes we get to our breaking point, it seems, right? Um, but when we reach that limit, in my experience, as I've shared with you, some of those, I, there's others, but in my experience, the Savior patrols the end of our ropes. When we cannot go on any further, He intervenes. And if he hasn't intervened yet, then he, he believes that we can keep going on. It's a comforting thought, isn't it? But it's, uh, it, it's in my experience is that when it gets too much, as he promised, he won't tempt us more than we can bear. And I think he understands that himself. Because in Gethsemane, he got to that point, right? He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And he felt his father withdraw for a time. He was all on his own. To be tested in part and to, to bring forth the atonement that blessed every human creature, every human being. But as we read in Luke... And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. He knows what it's like to be strengthened in Gethsemane when he's at the end of his rope. Don't you think that gives him enormous empathy and compassion for us when we're at the end of our rope? And he sends, he comes himself or to minister to us, or he sends a ministering angel. In, they come in many forms, right? Um, 
Do you want to share something? Stop me, otherwise I'll just keep going here. If you have a, a lesson that you've drawn from any of this or your own experiences, I'd love to hear them. Yes, please. Stuart, right? Sean. Sean, Sean. Yeah. It's not much, um, but I think something I've seen recently, and especially just listening to your things, is I'm always realizing I never see the full picture, right? It's, there's always more to it that, you know, God has that he can see, and so he's able to plan things out that you would never have guessed were there in the picture to begin with. That is a great comment. We have a hymn about that, right? Lead kindly light, one step's enough for me. Uh, it takes a lot of faith to not see more than one step ahead, right? But faith in faith we can. And we can trust that maybe there's a solution for that lost manuscript. Or maybe there's a solution for my problem. I also like the beautiful verse, verses of, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who had the but if not faith. But if not, but if there was not a clause in my contract that was essentially a ram in the thicket for me, would I still have faith in my Savior? I have a hunch that we have to get to that level of testing before we're going to be really satisfied that we proved our faith and our love for our Savior. In Gethsemane, the Savior himself did. He got to the point where even the Father withdrew his spirit, and he was there alone with no support. Talk about but if not. Have you ever had one of those moments? Those are tough. But that's where we, that is the graduate level test. Okay, let me just share another set of verses that have been so helpful to me in my experiences. They have to do with the Almas. Grandpa Alma, Alma the Younger, and Alma the Younger's sons, right? I think they were all together with Amulon, right? And Amulon took them all captive, the people, right? And they were in bondage. And the Lord blessed them. How? Remember? Remember the story? They, they had heavy burdens placed on their backs. They weren't allowed to pray. And they had a heavy labor uh, burdens put on their back. And, and uh, the Lord heard the prayers of their heart. And he intervened with what? He lightened their burdens, right? Let, let's just read a, a, a verse of that. And the Lord eased the burdens which were put upon their shoulders, that even they could not feel them on their backs. And the Lord did strengthen them that they could bear up their burdens with ease. So, isn't it interesting that quite a few years later, when Alma the Younger is teaching his boys, he's teaching them similar on a similar theme that is so beautiful to me. But he learned it in the furnace of bondage himself, under the tutelage of his father, right? 
So Alma teaches, Alma the Younger teaches two of his sons the almost identical lesson about what they learned in bondage. First he teaches, he teaches uh, his son Helaman that I do know that whosoever shall put their trust in God shall be supported in their trials and their troubles and their afflictions. Have you felt supported in your trials and troubles and afflictions as you've put, in your, tr put your trust in the Lord? It's a sure promise. And I've felt that many, many times in my life. And then there's his, the same lesson that he shared, that he taught to Shiblon, his son. Okay, now you college students, there's a math, mathematical formula in here that Alma teaches Shiblon for dealing with challenges in his life. See if you can hear the, the formula. Now, my son Shiblon, I would that you should remember that as much as you put your trust in God, even so much shall ye be delivered out of your trials and your troubles and your afflictions, and ye shall be lifted up at the last day. I love that. Delivered can mean the burden, you're, you're delivered from the weight, so basically you're supported in your trouble, your trial, and your affliction, or it can mean that it's taken away. And in my experiences, as you've seen, I've experienced both. The lightening of the load, the support, and also the complete deliverance from the problem. How does that happen? Alma teaches us the formula. If we write it on the board, there'd be an equal sign. And on one side of the equation is, as much as we trust in God, then the equal sign is, even so, even so much, that's the equal sign, shall you be delivered from your trials and your troubles and your afflictions. I love that formula. I commend it to you, and you know what, that I'm what I'm saying is true, don't you? you? You've tested the equation. And you know that as much as you put your trust in God, He will support you in your trials and deliver you. And both of those sons heard the last line of their dad's teaching that and they would be lifted up, lifted up in the last day. Okay, that's that's... Another one. Anybody want to add one, one, one more or before we finish? Let me just end with this. We got to hear from our dear prophet this last weekend with General Conference. Do you remember these words when he said, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to come unto him so that he can heal you. He will heal you from your sins as you repent. He will heal you from your sadness and your fear. He will heal you from the wounds of this world. What a beautiful invitation and beautiful promise. I know it's true. And I bear my fervent testimony on this Easter week that He lives all glory to His name. He lives my Savior. Still the same. Oh, sweet. The joy this sentence gives. 
I know that my Redeemer lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you. Are there any questions? I do have one, Brother Johnson. Sure. In conference, um, I, I can't recall the gentleman who had talked about it, but talked about Lazarus and Jesus waiting till the fourth day yes. to do the, do the miracles. Yes. We've also heard talks about him coming in the fourth watch where he kind of waits till the end. It seems like a lot of your stories are kind of the fourth day, fourth watch. He waits until that, that last moment. How do you have the patience to wait? How do you have the foresight and, and faith to say, okay, it might be in the fourth watch and I'm going to just wait for that? Thank you. That's a great question. And what a beautiful talk that was. Yeah, that was um, I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, Young 70, was. I forgot his name. Yeah. Um, well, in part, I'll answer that with one of the, with, uh, one of the principles that I really have lived by, and that's that notion, that promise, that God won't test us more than we can handle. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So if it's still coming, and if I have to keep waiting, the Lord somehow thinks I can handle it. And... That gives me the strength, that's given me the strength to, to go on one more day, one more day. I'll answer one more way. When my dear late wife was bedridden, the doctors, and couldn't move at all, the doctors came and checked her vitals and said, she's healthy except for the MS. She, she could live like this for 20 more years. And I thought, oh my goodness, really? First of all, poor Alice. Secondly, I, I can't imagine how I'm going to make it that long, financially and in every way. So I had, but I had to fix my eyes on that 20-year horizon and, and trust that the Lord would help me get there, though I, I could only see one step at a time. So it was one day, one step at a time. But I knew that if it got too much, He would intervene somehow.